0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Cade Young.
3: And I'm Sydney Foreman. This is the WFHB Local News for Friday, May 29, 2020.
2: Later in the program, I talk to activist group Hoosier Action on their efforts to extend the moratorium on evictions in the state.
3: Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB correspondent Alex Deirdre talks about the reopening of parks in Monroe County. But first, your local headlines. Monroe County Council member Jeff McKim presented cash flow projections for 2020. He spoke about the general fund during their May 26th County Council meeting. He said all miscellaneous collections must be recorded, but some revenue comes irregularly.
1: The first one that that stood out uh, is the planning, zoning, and building permits and fees. And um, that one actually, is interesting because uh because of the way that the, the planning department collects their revenue and deposits that deposits it and gets it put into into lao they actually did not have any um, any revenue recorded in april but that doesn't mean that building permits and planning permits have stopped in the month of april in fact uh it, 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 things are going very well and apparently that that information might have already been input for may so we'll expect may to be quite a bit bigger than uh, than it normally would.
3: McKim said some revenue areas are low, such as rental property and share of services, but could be expected. He said some categories are more concerning.
1: Revenue category R414, federal, state, and local reimbursement for services. Um, our miscellaneous revenue projection that went into our budget was 595,000. We've only had approximately $50 in that revenue uh, category so far. So I uh, want to look in, in more detail at that. Uh, follow closely. The same thing is with uh, refunds and reimbursements. Uh, $630,000 was projected and we're only at about uh, 33000 uh, 34000
3: McKim said the cash flow is a model of projected monetary amounts, not guarantees. He spoke about differences between the projected 2020 budget and what is happening.
1: What I modeled here was, 95 percent of so essentially a five percent reduction in, in property tax uh representing mainly just people who can't pay uh or, or, or won't be able to pay by the end of the year that may actually be a a very conservative estimate we may wind up uh being closer to 100 percent by the end of the year so i but um i went with that and then a 90 percent um uh essentially a 10% reduction in um in miscellaneous revenue so where that leaves us is a uh is an is an operating balance of about 40% of of our so in other words uh the cash balance at the end of the year after all the expenses and all of the uh the revenues if they come in as projected then we'll wind up that that represents 40% of the uh, uh of the budget which is generally a, which is a very high cash balance
3: he said the 2020 2021 projection includes a two percent increase in the general fund budget he said the property tax and lit funds would see small reductions county auditor kathy smith said those on unemployment could help make up shortfalls uh, many people that are on unemployment are getting an extra six hundred dollars a month um, that's twenty
4: four hundred dollars a month that they're not not used to getting. And that money is taxable money. They have to pay federal income tax on it and they have to pay local income tax on it. And so, um, so that's 1% uh, for everybody that's on um, unemployment, uh, they're
3: $2,400 a month. That's gonna go a long way to making up our lit shortfalls, or at least I hope that it will. Smith said the county would not see that income tax until January. She said more funds are in the Rainy Day Fund than have been in the past three years. Also during the meeting, counselors approved improvements to the courthouse Alexander Memorial. County Commissioner Julie Thomas said a grant would reimburse the county for about $50,000. We had these general amounts that we put into the bond because some amounts go end up higher, some end up lower, and, and it usually comes out just right. Um, And so we we had a higher number in here because that was the estimate at that time. Also during the meeting, county commissioners requested $1,000 from the Food and Beverage Tax Fund to support local tourism-related businesses with grants. Counselors unanimously approved the additional appropriation.
2: Monroe County will deviate from Governor Holcomb's Stage 3 plan as outlined in a county public health order. The only deviation from the state order is to limit the size of mass gatherings to no more than 50 people. According to the health order, face coverings are still strongly recommended when in public. General recommendations were also made in the county health order. This includes maintaining 6 feet social distance, increasing ventilation of indoor spaces, holding all necessary meetings via telephone or video conference, and several other recommendations to ensure public safety. The order to limit the size of mass gatherings to no more than 50 people goes into effect on June 30th.
3: The Bloomington City Council Administration Committee discussed an amendment of the Bloomington Municipal Code regarding fees for removal and impoundment of towed vehicles. City Attorney Mike Roker presented the changes during their May 27th meeting.
0: For one, uh, it proposes increasing the total base towing fee that may be charged by an authorized towing service for a public tow from $125 to $135, which is the base fee uh, permitted for uh, private tows, non-consensual tows. Ordinance 2010 requires towing companies to release a vehicle, so uh, upon payment of 20% of the total fees owed, if the owner signs an agreement to pay the remainder, and that's a rule again in place for non-consensual tows. And then Ordinance 2010 clarifies that storage charges may not be assessed uh, against a vehicle until a vehicle has been in storage for at least 24 hours. Again, just bringing the rules for public tows into line with those uh, for private tows.
3: Roker said updated public tow rules would create a unified set of rules for both public and private toes. He said unified rules would be easier for both the public and towing companies to understand. Council members recommended due pass to the council as a whole.
2: Up next, WFHB News correspondent Alex Dieterer talks with Monroe County Parks and Recreation Assistant Director about parks reopening to the public.
5: Monroe County Parks will reopen to the public on Monday. Parks were closed to the public in March when concern about the COVID-19 pandemic began in Indiana while trails remained open. Assistant Director of Monroe County Parks and Recreation, John Robertson, said Monroe County Parks and Recreation has been working closely with the Monroe County Health Department and the Monroe County Commissioners to begin the reopening of some of the park facilities this Monday. Robertson shares more on Monroe County Parks reopening, while some facilities remain closed to the public for health and safety reasons.
6: So what's opening Monday um, are the parks themselves. So our parks are gated in the front. Um, So we've been able to close them um, during this period over the course of the last couple months. Um, So the parks themselves are open. We've got a couple different facilities um, that are membership based. For example, our dog park at Carst Farm Park, um, that will be open again. Um, Then our garden plots at Will Detmer Park, um, those will be open for our renters as well. And then the, the greenways have the whole time.
5: In addition to keeping some facilities closed to the public, Monroe County Parks and Recreation will also be implementing signage around the parks to ensure the safety of the public.
6: We'll have signage um, near the playgrounds, um, near our entrances um, of the parks, as well as our other, like our auxiliary facilities, like I mentioned, the dog park, uh, the gardens. Um, There may be some things uh, specific to those members to do. Um, but yeah, just where we tend to see more traffic, um, we'll have signs. And then, like I said, at the entrances of the parks as well,
5: as well as staff taking extra measures to keep community members safe and healthy.
6: So outside of just, uh, asking the community to practice, um, social distancing, um, our staff is going to emphasize just, cleaning our equipment a little bit more frequently. Um, So disinfecting um, surfaces where people are going to be coming in contact more frequently, um, that's going to be our priority uh, for maintaining a safer environment. Things like playgrounds and restrooms, um, of that nature. Um, We're also not opening all of our um, restrooms. We're just keeping it to a minimum.
5: According to the news release, athletic leagues and tournaments and special events have been canceled through June. The following parks and community gardens will reopen Monday. Karst Farm Park, Will Detmer Park, Flatwoods Park, Jackson Creek Park, Karst Dog Park, and Will Detmer Gardens. When looking ahead into the future, there are still many unknowns of when all park facilities will be open to the public again.
6: Essentially what we're doing is we're just trying to do our best in following um, the governor's guidelines and then also working with the health, the health department, um, as you've probably noticed Monroe County is a little bit further behind um, the state's guidelines or timeline, I should say, um, for for several things, um, but really it, it just depends on how things shake out over the next month or so. Um, so I I it's hard to say definitively. Um, I would hope by the end of July, things would be fairly close to back to normal, um, for us. But again, I, I I can't really say, um, without knowing, uh, how things are looking over the course of the next month, you know, they could, they could just as easily, um, say that we've had a a regression in um, progress. And in which case we might have to take a step back. So it's hard to say, (laughs)
5: Residents are encouraged to check the Monroe County Parks and Recreation website for future updates. For WFHB,
3: I'm Alex Dieterer. Monroe County commissioners discussed a rezone of Fable Farms during their May 27th meeting. Planner Drew Myers said the ordinance would rezone approximately six acres from suburban residential to agriculture rural reserve he said the rezone is to allow a food production operation and continuation of a composting operation.
6: So the composting operation on the petition site began in 2018 uh, when the petitioners elected to pursue compost facility registration through the Indiana Department of Environmental Management. Uh, the petitioners have filed all necessary paperwork and acquired the appropriate authorizations from IDEM to operate as a compost facility. In December of 2019, the petitioners applied for a building permit application uh, for a um, 1200 square foot coal barn structure. The zoning inspector inquired about the intended use for the structure, and that's how we came to know about the composting facility uh, on the site.
3: Myers said a composting facility is not allowed under their current zoning. Commissioner Penny Githens asked Myers about the type of food production the petitioner plans to operate.
6: Um, I'm not 100% sure on that either. Um, I know that it's very preliminary in what they have planned, um, and they have not spoken with planning staff in very many details about uh, what
2: that may entail.
3: Commissioners continued the ordinance until their June 10th meeting.
2: Ivy Tech Bloomington announced plans to revert ownership of the John Waldron Arts Center to the city of Bloomington. According to a press release, quote, built in 1915, the building served as Bloomington City Hall and subsequently housed the city's police and fire departments until the city deeded the property in 1990 to the Bloomington Area Arts Council, end quote. Since then, the John Waldron Arts Center has been home to galley, classroom, and performance spaces for students in the community to enjoy. The Ivy Tech State Board of Trustees plans to approve the transfer during their June 4th meeting. The city is still undecided on the future of the facility.
3: Up next, WFHB News Director Cade Young talks to Hoosier Action about their activism work in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. He also speaks to Lane Fulton, a Bloomington resident, about filing for unemployment. For more, we turn to Cade Young.
2: Hoosier Action is a community-led activist group based in southern Indiana. According to its website, the group says it is committed to fighting for an Indiana where everyone succeeds. Tracy Hutchings gets is the communication director at Hoosier Action. She talked to me about some efforts the organization is making to extend the moratorium on evictions in Indiana. Here is that interview. First off, what is the mission of Hoosier Action?
4: We are a grassroots, nonpartisan community organization Uh, We are rooted in rural and small-town southern Indiana, but we recently expanded statewide, and we are dedicated to improving the lives of everyday Hoosiers by acting together.
2: So what work have you been doing all across the state of Indiana since the outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic?
4: Yeah, so normally we knock on doors and hold meetings in person, but since coronavirus hit, we, like so many groups, have moved everything online. Um, So we've held several statewide meetings, uh, briefing calls. We've um, held several trainings. And what we're really dedicated to doing right now is ensuring that every Hoosier has food in their bellies, a roof over their head, and care that they can count on during this crisis and beyond. Um, So we've, like I said, held trainings, statewide meetings, um, and most recently, we organized 12 different counties across the state to deliver and organize uh, petitions directed at local officials to prevent evictions during this crisis.
2: Now the next question is, what work have you been doing in Monroe County?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So um, in Monroe County, um, we pulled together um, about 500 petition signatures which um, we then delivered uh, via email to um, all of the Bloomington City Council members, to the um, mayor's office, to the county commissioners and the county council members. And we are now in the process in Monroe County, as in all of these other counties, of setting up meetings with uh, the local officials to whom these petition signatures were addressed. Um, to really work with them to ensure that nobody loses their home because of a global pandemic.
2: Yeah. So kind of going into more of that terrain, what demands are your action calling upon the state, particularly with the evictions moratorium?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So um, we are calling on the state to continue the evictions moratorium until we have a comprehensive plan in place, as well as a rental assistance program. Um, So right now, it's estimated that 258,000 Hoosiers will be at risk of becoming homeless if we don't do something about this.
2: So how can you stand up for those who are struggling right now? In other words, how are you actively trying to be the voice of the voiceless?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we organize people to speak for themselves. So we provide support and training for them to do that. So um, if you are right now concerned about meeting your rent or concerned about being evicted or threatened of being evicted or losing your small business, we are here for you to help make certain that your voice gets heard and that you advocate both to local officials, to state officials, and to federal officials. Um, So we are working on all three of those levels to really make certain that Hoosier homes and Hoosier families are protected because that's a Hoosier value as far as we're concerned.
2: What has the organization accomplished and how much work is left to go?
4: Oh, yeah. Well, there's a lot of work left to go, um, particularly on this housing issue. So it's estimated that we'll need about uh, $1 billion in housing assistance from the federal government to prevent this potential wave of homelessness across the country. So Um, We've got a lot of work ahead of us, but we've also um, already received a lot of positive response from local officials who are, you know, as concerned about this issue as we are, and we're really committed to continuing to work with them.
2: What would you like to see leaders do during this time? Like, what action would you like to see them take?
4: You know, there's been some great steps done locally already, like, you know, preventing water shutoffs during this crisis. Um, We'd really like to see local officials work to ensure that some of the COVID relief money, um, a big chunk of it that's coming in from the federal government already, is directed towards rental assistance programs, that they set that up. We want to make certain that they work with judges and with the sheriff's office to prevent evictions right now, like I said, until there is some kind of rental relief assistance in this place. And we really um, want to make certain that they are asking um, Senator Todd Young, Senator Mike Braun, their local Congress people for what they need.
2: The COVID-19 pandemic seems to affect the most vulnerable people. How has this pandemic affected more vulnerable populations compared to those who might be more well-off?
4: Folks who are already struggling to make ends meet, folks who don't have $500 in their wallet for an emergency or their bank account, which we know is a really high percentage of Hoosiers, this crisis, both the health impacts and the economic impacts have hit them especially hard because we know those two things are not separate, right? We are experiencing a public health crisis and we're experiencing um, a huge crisis in joblessness. And we know that when you don't have a job, you often don't have insurance, right? Um, so you lose your access to healthcare when you lose your job, when you lose your income. Um, and we know that, you know, to, to pit those two things against each other simply, simply isn't true, right? Like we can't, just focus on the economy and not public health, or just public health and not the economy because they're really connected.
2: Lane Fulton is a Bloomington resident and volunteer for Hoosier Action. He was furloughed from his job at Panera Bread. After he was laid off, he dug into his savings which lasted him for about two months. He started donating plasma to make ends meet, mostly to buy groceries at Sam's Club. In my interview with Lane, he talked about unemployment, problems with his landlord, and his volunteer work for Hoosier Action. Once he was laid off from his job, Fulton applied for unemployment. He was repeatedly denied. Fulton discussed why he was deemed ineligible.
0: So when I got the offer to come back to work two weeks ago, I had actually just messaged my managers saying like, haven't talked to you guys in about seven weeks. Here's what's going on with me. I'm having a surgery next week. I won't be able to work. I don't know if you're taking people off furlough, but I won't be able to work for probably six or seven more weeks. And me doing my math, I was like, I can't afford uh, to live the way I am mm-hmm. based on the money I had saved. And because I have um, good vitamin K in my blood, the last time I went to CSL about two and a half weeks ago, I clotted the machine, which it's happened before when I've donated blood to Red Cross, uh, just good vitamin K can the needles can get clogged. In that particular instance, they weren't able to return my red cells to me. So I can't go back to CSL until July 7th. So wow. that cushion that I had of getting like $300, $400 a month from selling plasma had disappeared. But back to the beginning of the, the furlough, I immediately applied for unemployment with the state because of a clerical error on some end, whether it be employment or the state, they missed my employments at Indiana University. I was I had three different jobs on campus and they only on the breakdown of like, oh here's how much you made last year, it only had one of the three jobs and it was actually the least paying job on that I had. So there was missing several thousands of dollars that I had earned last year. And even just the AGI I had on my taxes i'd filed was several thousands off so that was the first thing i appealed it and i did the math and i was like okay here's what's going on and the frustrating part for the appeal was the metrics they use are you made there's three parts you made this much a minimum of this much last year which i think the bottom bar is like 12 grand said so i applied for unemployment insurance in the state of indiana on 4-6-2020 it was promptly denied coverage when i say promptly it was like next day it's like nope denied
2: really well,
0: yeah i was Really, I was like that quickly, so I applied immediately when I was furloughed, which was the twenty seventh of March, so the last Wednesday of March was my last work day, I believe that was the twenty seventh,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that was before the the calendar had shifted twenty fifth of March my apologies um, the calendar shifted, so like the metric was it was the last or the the last quarter of twenty eighteen, the first three quarters of twenty nineteen so when I got, to, I got denied then, and I thought that was a little fishy, I was like, okay, I don't really understand, but just because the, the taxes were the way they are, I just like, maybe that's accurate. The third metric they use is that your base period, the full four quarters that they use is at least 1.5 times higher than your highest quarter of earnings. Cool. That makes sense to me. I did not meet that metric based off the last quarter of 2018 and the first three quarters of 2019. But I waited literally just three days and the calendar shifted. So it included just all of 2019. A very easy, what did I do in 2019? I already had my tax information. So I applied again, very sure that I'll get it because I finished up grad school. So I really wasn't able to work that much that first half of the year. And I got back with Panera. I worked with Panera off and on through school. I got back with them top of August. So I had August, September, October, November, December of like full-time work earning, you know, like 500, 600 a week. Mm -hmm. So I thought, cool, I'm going to get approved. So when I got denied that time, I really looked into why, and they're missing two jobs on campus. So even by their metric, the calculation used by the Department of Workforce Development comes out to 1.4895. So my base period was just 1.4895 times larger Then my highest quarter, which was the last quarter of 2019, because I was getting overtime and I was doing lots of work. And that's because I was sandbagged because I didn't have, I couldn't work full time while I was a student. I was busy. Mm -hmm. finishing up my MPA program. So I was like, okay. So I said the calculation using my AGI from my taxes became 1.7873 and using just gross income was almost two times the the highest quarter. So I peeled on that big basis uh, and a couple other reasons like, oh, if I get the unemployment, this is right after the CARES Act was passed. I was like, if I get the 600 a week from the CARES Act on top of the the pennies that they throw at me from the state, I shouldn't say pennies, the the amount that the state would allocate to me, I would be able to, to safely quarantine myself. I would be able to not put anyone else at risk as transmitting. I wouldn't have to go back to work. I can stay here and that really would do wonders for my mental health. It would allow me to keep applying for jobs as I'm getting recensions and offers taken away. I'm able to apply for more full-time work so I can give back to society and earn more income and have more taxes for the tax base. I could also buy gift cards to local restaurants so that they have the money on hand now to help get through this this time. I can order food and tip the drivers directly. I can do this and that. I can really help my community with the money coming from the federal funds that have already been allocated. Like I could do that. Um, And I would able to be able to save and put into aforementioned high yield savings account money. So when my pause on my loans comes down, I can really just pay it down continually and really alleviate that stress of student loans. I'd be able to really take care of myself. I appealed on those stances. I kept filling out the vouchers every week Um, after about two weeks of hearing nothing from the state I started making the phone calls I was like I realized I have I'm not in any dire situation I have my rent lined out for the next two months I have enough money for food and to take care of myself and to pay my utilities so I wasn't trying to muddy the system by calling and being a pest because there are people out there who are really in dire straits so I was very conscious of me not being a nuisance. But after about a month of not hearing anything, I sent a a letter appeal, which I actually just an hour ago got a response to.
2: After he appealed, he was eventually approved for unemployment. Lane says he's glad he was approved, but he still fears for his future. Many Indiana residents are in a similar situation as Fulton. Only time will tell what the future holds for the record high numbers of people on unemployment. Tracy hutchings gets the communications director for Hoosier Action, said the organization has many plans in store for the future. What does the future hold for Hoosier Action?
4: Well, we are going to continue to organize and fight, and we encourage everyone to join us um, in this fight moving forward. You can always find our events at hoosieraction.org events. And like I said, um, we are continuing to work with local officials to work with state level officials um, and to work with federal officials um, to try to make certain that nobody loses their home because of a global pandemic.
2: For WFHB News, I'm Cade Young. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by myself and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Cade Young and Alex Dieterer.
3: Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Our executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Sydney Foreman.
2: And I'm Cade Young. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast as well as other WFHB news programming online at wfhb.org.
3: You too can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at wfhb.org.
2: Stay tuned for KiteLine, a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system, coming up next on WFHB.